Good morning. Now he had to go through Samaria. Translates literally from Greek, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. It was necessary. What a weird thing to add. I mean, if you look at a map, it's fairly obvious that Samaria lies directly between Judea and Galilee on the west bank. However, for Jews who were traveling from Judea to Galilee, it was necessary for them to travel on the east bank. Jews considered Samaritans second class because they were racially mixed, among with many other things that created so much division, grief, and baggage between them. But for Jesus, the beloved Son of God, it was necessary that he go through Samaria. Thanks be to God. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I'm always struck at Jesus' humility and vulnerability. He could have easily minded his own business. He could have chosen to stay silent and watch her. He could have not pursued her. But he did. Even in the midst of his exhaustion, he pursued this woman. I'm also struck at her awareness of her place. She is not blind to this culture difference. She even says, I am a Samaritan woman. Not only is she a Samaritan, but she's a woman. And she knows. How sad is it that she has to live a life where she is constantly reminded of her place, constantly reminded and told that she is less than, constantly reminded that she is not valuable, that she is not good enough. One day, my good friend Jakia was coming over for the first time. And as we were driving to my house, she asked, Hey, did you warn your parents that I'm black? I said, What? She said, Did you warn your parents that I'm black? I said, But no, they don't they don't care if you're black. And I was so shocked at this because I would have never considered to tell my parents that I had a black friend coming over. And I was also really sad and heartbroken that Jakia lives in the expectation that her white friend's parents are going to treat her less than because she's black. And this fear that she lives with comes from past experience of her white friend's parents mistreating her because she's black. And it also comes from an awareness of the cultural differences. Jakia is aware that she's black. And she is constantly reminded of her blackness. And I'll be honest and admit that I am not constantly reminded of my whiteness. I think that an extent of an of I think an extent of a reminder for me is someone at school saying, "Oh, well, you're so white." To which I reply, "What?" <laughs> the day after Trump got elected. I sat and mourned with my friends Karen and Cynthia. Both of their parents are illegal immigrants, and the fear of them getting deported just multiplied by 1,000. Trump provokes a deep sense of fear in them. His words make them and their families feel othered and not important. 
All of their intelligence and worth is drowned out by this roar of fear. They have been ignored and shamed and most of all silenced. Silenced by this overbearing ignorance. Karen and Cynthia are aware that they are Hispanic and they are constantly reminded of it. Constantly told that they aren't smart enough Reminded and told that they are less than and that they aren't American enough. And I'll admit that I will never know or understand what it's like for Jakia, Karen, or Cynthia. I will never experience oppression and discrimination due to the pigment of my skin. But I do know what it's like to be a female. And I know what it's like to be a female in the church. Both tra- who have tradi- traditionally been outsided and othered and frankly still are a church I attended when I was younger made the transition uh, to going fully gender inclusive and after the fact at least four churches that we had previously done youth group work with made it clear that we were not welcome and also chose to not participate in the things we hosted because they are afraid that a woman would speak and taint their children. Sorry. Most families left our congregation, including our whole home group. Something that should have felt life-giving and right all of a sudden felt really painful and lonely. I should have been excited that I was now allowed to use the gifts God had given me and lead, but it felt wrong. And I was constantly reminded that women should not have leading roles. I was shamed. I was ignored. I was silenced. So there, so there they stood. Jesus and this woman who had no place is another. So much so she doesn't even have a name. And yet, Jesus comes in and he pursues her. He is intentional. Not only does he pursue her, he breaks down the structure. After she said, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if only you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is offering this woman water. He switched the gender roles all her life. She has been told, she has lived under this expectation that she is to provide for others, that she is worthless, that she is not valuable. But Jesus breaks in and says, no more. And perhaps for the first time in her life, she is offered the water. Thanks be to God. And like Jakia, Jesus comes in and he pursues her. He is intentional. And not only does he pursue her, he breaks down these structures. He experiences the division and tension between black and white people. He experiences the injustice black people and other minorities face. And he breaks in and says, no more. And for the first time in her life, Jakia doesn't have to worry when she goes over to her white friend's house. Thanks be to God.
And my Karen and Cynthia, Jesus comes in and he pursues them. He is intentional. And not only does he pursue them, he breaks down these structures. He feels their fear. He feels the shame. He feels the silence. He feels the suffering. And he breaks in and says, no more. And for the first time in their lives, they do not have to live in the fear that their parents might get deported. Thanks be to God. And like me, Jesus comes in. He pursues me. He is intentional. And not only does he pursue me, he breaks down these structures. He experiences my frustration. He experiences the silence. He experiences the rejection and shame. He experiences all the pain. And he breaks in and says, no more. And for the first time in my life, I can preach not fear that others will shame me. Yet a time is coming, and now it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. The woman responds to this and says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I just experience this deep hopefulness. I know that Messiah. I know him. I know the one who lives in the way of truth, who lives in love, who lives in justice. I know that Messiah. And I am longing for the day that he will explain everything, that he will explain this brokenness and suffering and pain and injustice, that it will all make sense. I know that Messiah is coming. And we live in such a broken and polarized world full of injustice and hate and suffering. And we long for the day that this Messiah will come and make things new. We long for the day our dysfunctional structures will be broken down and rebuilt. We long for the day women and people of color are empowered and lifted up. We long for the day that Jesus comes and says no more. Yet a time is coming and has come now. I'm always struck by this significant and powerful encounter between this woman and Jesus happens around this mundane and insignificant well. I think that's an important reminder that change and the rebuilding of broken structures doesn't have to be this significant and big deal. It, can, it happens at grocery stores, it happens on the bus, it happens on a walk, it happens at a restaurant, it happens at work, it happens at school. It happens everywhere in all these seemingly small and insignificant places that's where the work of God is being done. And all we have to do is be present and notice and offer a cup of water. So, my question for you all is how does this settle with you? How does Jesus break down and rebuild our dysfunctional and biased structures? What does that mean for us? How do we sit with this? So, how does this settle with you? How does Jesus break down and rebuild our dysfunctional and biased structures? And what does this mean for us?
خروی سباده است
I am in this world in, in privilege, I talk of privilege, because of my whiteness and my maleness. And I think one way that I respond to this text is um, uh, just uh, coming alongside of opening myself. It's the, uncomfort, the discomfort for me is, is uh, being available to be present, to be a friend, uh, to get to know people that uh, the bubbles of the world would resist me getting to know, to be present with people enough to hear stories like this and uh, to have my heart broken and to, <coughs> to come alongside and want to be an advocate. Just There's so much just in... Uh, there's so much I have to... Uh, to learn and not, don't know how to say until I'm present with folks in that way. Um, so, I mean, that's a, a, you know, this neighborhood that we're in in Hamilton Park, a historically black neighborhood. We have some friends in a you know, the predominantly black church. I'm seeing these opportunities, but it's not my, my default is not to run for that because it challenges me. Uh, it pushes me out of my place of privilege. Um, but that's where I'm going. That's where I need to open myself. And I think, like Christina just said, the word uncomfortable, I mean, that was what was going through my mind. And what, what's awesome about this story, and like how you said, is Jesus saw this woman, right? Like, he chose to see her. And when you come from a place of privilege, you can choose whether or not to see things. And a lot of times we choose not to because it's uncomfortable. It makes us feel icky and weird and we don't like it and we just rather not see it. We just rather pretend that doesn't happen. But Jesus, who could have easily done that, chose to see her. Not only did he see her, he talked to her. He interacted with her. And I... I mean, I think a lot of times, rather than just go with the knee-jerk, visceral reaction of like, oh, this makes me feel weird, I don't like this, you know, like, let's stop and think for a second, like, why does this scare me? Why does this make me uncomfortable? Is, you know, can I, can I sit with this? Can I sit in this dysfunction? Hmm. If I can leave, I'm going to a lot of people want to say, I want to share. As, as her dad wants to talk or something. I wanted to share alongside with what Val was saying because, um, you know, when you asked the question, Emma, I thought, you know, we like Emma, we like her message, and let me think of something to say to respond to her question, and I don't know if I have anything to say. This is a hard question to wrestle with, um, because like Charles, I too am male and white, um, and I grew up that way in the church, and it is really easy when you experience privilege to not recognize that privilege. Um, you know, I, I spoke for the first time, you know, as a, as a young adult at my church. And, you know, afterward I got pats on the back and, um, you know, people telling me what a young, godly man I was growing up to be. Uh, Val spoke at her church. No, no, no. I was not allowed to. I got to speak on Wednesday night because there were going to be less people. Yeah. But that the other boys that had planned speeches all got to go on Sunday and I was told that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. 
and even afterwards she got mailed clobber passages from the Bible. I don't know what, how much she really wrong. Until I was married to Val and got to hear her powerful voice that she had, um, I didn't recognize that dichotomy of experiences that she and I had growing up in churches that were very, very similar. Um, until I got to know some of my friends of color, I didn't understand that the country they grew up in was so different than the country I grew up in, even though we call ourselves Americans. Um, it, when I think about Jesus and how he made people uncomfortable, I think about how his inclination was radical love for everyone that he came in contact with. And the way he made people uncomfortable was his love of humanity wherever he saw it. He wasn't supposed to be talking to this woman at the well. He wasn't supposed to be talking to a Samaritan or to lepers or to all of these people. But he came, I believe, first and foremost to love humanity. And that made a lot of people uncomfortable. And so if I can be more like Jesus by loving humanity first and foremost, and then letting everything else settle where it may, I think that's what I can do to get a little closer to Jesus as well. Um, I was just going to say, when I hear passages like this, especially as a woman who grew up in church, you can always find somebody else to submit to. You're like, well, it would be, I'm a white woman, so I need to submit to people of color. I need to um, my voice to listen to people of color. And it's really easy to default to that because you're just like, I think women know a lot about submitting. And women are taught a lot about submitting. And I know a lot of ways I think that's good, just in another way I think that like we're always trying to balance our voice and I look at like the Samaritan woman and like she was in town like his disciples went in town they're professional missionaries at this point and no one comes back to see Jesus with them and she goes in and has no experience and had been nervously to talk to Jesus and then goes in and is telling everybody to come out and they all come out and I think that our stumbling, we don't have as much experience, I think, as some of the, as some of some people in the church who are going to raise, like, keep speaking and do all this stuff. We don't have as much experience, but when we get out there, the Holy Spirit can move. And so I think we have an obligation to listen to friends of color, and we also have an obligation to, to step up and do what we can. Typically, when I hear sermons or classes on this, uh, the woman's morality is brought up as an issue, which strikingly the text actually never does. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I'm really, really grateful uh, that I think the core issue, which is the systemic uh, racial, ethnic, and gender, uh, um, was the force. Uh, because I mean, we, it's another way that we other her in our current day is by making it about her morality. And the text doesn't do that. Uh, secondly, I was struck as you were preaching, particularly with uh, spiritually friends, like the uh, when Jesus talks about eternal life, uh, we often translate that as like time, like life that lasts forever. But the Hebrew, and I would argue Jesus' sense, is an eternal of time and eternal of fullness. Like things being right, whole, full. Uh, 
and, and your articulation, your telling the story, uh, I think was really, really good and powerful to help us see the kind of eternal, full life that God wants the world to friends, then I would have never 
under, not, I can't understand, but I would have never gotten that perspective. And so, like, I'm constantly reminded that, like, I have to be an active listener or else I would never know Jakia's story or Karen's story or Cynthia's story. And so, yeah, so that's just a good reminder. And something that I think is so beautiful about this story is after the the interaction with Jesus, she goes to her town and she shares this experience with her people. And although this is something she experienced individually, she processes this and lives this experience communally. And I think that's important. We don't have to hold this weight alone, but we are enabled and encouraged to share this to share and experience this really difficult journey with people around us. We are broken people living in a broken and divided world, but we are sought out and intentionally loved by a God that breaks down our broken structures and rebuilds them. So thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you and we lament our brokenness. We know the world isn't how you intended it to be and we mourn that with you. But a time is coming and has come now. So help us find hope in that. Help us find hope in you, hope in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.